Welcome to Evangel Church, where we believe in seeing changed lives changing lives. We're into the new year. There's a lot of exciting things that are coming up, church. Uh, I don't know about you, but I'm getting ready for a special game that's going to be happening tonight at 8 o'clock. My Steelers are playing. I'm pretty excited. Don't tell me you're rooting for the Chiefs or we can't talk till next week. Um, but, uh, but at this time of the year, there's a lot of excitement with the playoffs and those kinds of things. And we, as a church, I just want to give you a heads up. Something to put, I didn't tell first service, but you get to hear about it first. We're preparing for some exciting um, exciting things in 2017. One of them is going to be a big service. It's going to be uh, what we believe to be a great opportunity for you to invite someone to church. And it's going to be on Super Bowl Sunday. We're going to be calling it Super Sunday. And on Super Bowl Sunday, we're going to come together. We're going to celebrate. We're going to have fun. It's going to be something that, uh, that we're hoping to invite many of the men to come out to, but on Super Bowl Sunday, I think the best thing that could happen, the greatest victory, will be someone coming to know Jesus Christ as their Lord and Savior. Amen? Amen. So that's why we do what we do. And so our prayer is that we're going to have a great service on Super Bowl Sunday. Um, it's going to be something that's going to be uh, outreach-oriented and evangelistic in nature, something that we're going to encourage you to invite a friend, invite a neighbor, invite someone, maybe a guy that, that you would think would never want to be in church, but he's a sports fan. Have him come out. We have a special guest speaker. His name is Pastor Willie Alfonso, and he serves as the chaplain for a team you may have heard of, the New York Yankees. Has anyone heard of them? Uh, so he serves as a chaplain. He has an incredible testimony of how God has rescued him and changed his life. And he has put him in the lives of so many professional athletes in football, in basketball, in baseball. And they're coming to know Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior. So uh, that's all I'm going to tell you so far. There's some other pretty exciting things uh, that we'll also be making you aware of as the weeks move forward. But February 5th, in just a few short weeks, mark it on your calendar. Start thinking about it. Who am I going to invite? Someone that I know would need to hear a great message and come to Jesus as Lord and Savior. So mark that down. Um, we're excited because we really want to engage the men, men of the church. Uh, it's time to rise up and for us to step into what God has for us and to, uh, to really, in 2017, see God do some great and mighty things. Uh, that's also a reminder that we have a men's ministry here at Evangel Church. Uh, meets on Mondays and Tuesday nights. I want to encourage you men, go out, be a part of that, be a part of the men's events as we start sharing them with you. They're beginning a study on the second coming of our Lord uh, that's going to begin very soon in just a few weeks. So uh, make sure sure you check that out on Monday or Tuesday nights. You won't want to miss that. All right, if we are going to get into God's Word now, would you open up with me in your Bibles to uh, Mark chapter 12. We're going to be in Mark chapter 12. And this series is called Greater Than. And the premise behind it is that it's my prayer that we would experience a year in 2017 that's greater than any other year of our lives, greater than any other year we've experienced as a church. We want to experience all that God has for us uh, in this brand new year. And in doing that, we have to overcome a few things from the past. One of them is oftentimes we always enter into a new year, don't we, with a great sense of expectation, an expectation that things are going to get better, that this is going to be greater, and this is going to be something more fulfilling. But you know what happens oftentimes? We expect those different results, but we continue doing the same exact things that got us the old results. And if we keep doing the same thing over and over again and expecting something different to happen, that's a definition of insane. <laughs> that's a crazy person. We, we become crazy. And you feel like you're going crazy because you're saying, I want it to be better, but I keep doing the same things. 
And so we got to change the way that we live. we got to change um, the way that we walk so that we can truly experience the greater things that God has for us. That's why you have God's word in your hand today. That's why we open up to God's word when we come together because we believe that God gives us his way. He gives us a path. He gives us instruction. He gives us a way that we can walk in, and it's a way that leads to life and not to death. And so I'm so thankful that you and I, we don't have to come here and guess and say, I wish I knew that there was a way that I could experience that kind of life, that I could experience a greater year. And I want to tell you there is. God hasn't left us alone. He's given us his word so that we could walk in it, so that it will illuminate our path, and so that we could experience all that God has for us. There are principles in God's word that we see uh, sewn through the fabric of Scripture, principles that we need to embrace and we need to actually apply to our lives so that we could truly walk in a new kind of way, the way that the Lord calls us to walk, not just the way that this world would have us to walk. And so I want to unpackage a few of those with you this morning. And the first one that I believe we need to understand as we're getting ready to walk in a year that's greater than any other year is we have to overcome this issue of urgency in our lives. Have you ever had someone run to you with an urgent thing, an urgent emergency, and, and they just need to stop you in your tracks, maybe at work, maybe in, at home, wherever it is you're going, and they are just so pressing that you have to drop everything and take care of whatever that thing is. The urgency is so high. And when you find out what that thing is, you realize that was not that important, and I've just wasted an hour. Is anyone with me? You're like, what was that? And some people say, your urgency doesn't equal my emergency, right? Uh, that, that, that's, a, that's a challenge that we have. And sometimes there are so many things that seem so urgent in the moment that if we look back a day, a week, a month later, it took so much of our time, but it didn't really benefit anything. It actually sidetracked us. And so I think that we get so swept up in emergencies and urgent matters that we can sometimes miss the true, great, main things that we're supposed to be focusing ourselves on. You know, there's an old adage that if the enemy can't make you sin, if the devil can't make you sin, he'll just make you busy. He'll just make you so busy that you get sidetracked. You can't focus on what you're supposed to be focused on. And so that's something that I believe consumes us in the information age that we live in in the day with technology, and we have so many things alerting us of something. We have so many things that are voices that are calling us in different directions. And I think one of the greatest things you can do in 2017 to truly begin to experience the greater than life that we're talking about is we can begin to understand that priority is greater than urgency. That priority is greater than urgency. And if we don't understand this, then what happens is we're going to be really busy this year, but we're not going to be very fruitful this year. You may be very busy because you're going to be tending to a bunch of urgent matters, but if you don't have a sense of priority, then everything seems urgent. But you can truly decipher and prioritize what is truly needing to be attended to, and what isn't urgent, as urgent as it might seem when you have a sense of priorities. Someone said this, if you are going on a great journey and you actually don't know the destination, then you're going to become paralyzed at every intersection. If you are going on a great journey, but you don't know where that destination is that you're going, then you're going to become paralyzed at every single intersection. You're going to say, I'm on this great journey. I'm excited. I'm, I'm all ready. And then you get to the first intersection. It's like, do I go left or do I go right? I, I don't know. They both look good. See, what happens is if you don't have a sense of direction, a sense of priority, a sense of bearing on where it is that you're meant to go and how we're meant to walk, then we, we can become so sidetracked and before long realize 
that we've walked in a way that we shouldn't, and we've become um, distracted away from the true things that God wants us to be focused on. And so what we often think is that urgency equals priority. If it's urgent, it must be important. But I want to tell you there's things in life that come up that that urgency and that sense of urgency is something that's really meant to sidetrack you, not meant to be a priority in your life. And once you operate with a sense of having strong priorities, understanding your purpose that God has placed you on this earth for, then you can begin to walk in a greater sense of priority and you can have a sense of urgency about the things that are worthy of you being urgent and attending to. And so when we walk through the life and ministry of Jesus, this is exactly what happens. We see that Jesus, one of the earliest times that he shows up, he walks through life really unknown for about 30 years of his life. He's there in Nazareth. He's a son of a carpenter. He's just tending to life. And then... And right around the age 30, he enters into his public ministry. He begins to go around teaching and sharing with others about the good news of the kingdom of God. He's, he's working miracles. But before all of that, he shows up in a synagogue in Luke chapter 4, a place of teaching. And they're having church. They're teaching. And he stands up. He opens up the scroll to Isaiah chapter 61. And he reads from the prophet Isaiah. And here's what he says. He says, the spirit of the sovereign Lord is upon me. He has sent me to preach good news to the poor, to release the oppressed, to bring freedom to the captives, to proclaim the good and the favorable year of the Lord. See, Jesus understood his purpose. He understood why he came, and when he walked through life in his ministry with that sense of purpose, that sense of understanding, it made it very possible, very easy for him to identify the areas he needed to focus on, and it were areas that the world was focused on something completely different. But Jesus knew where he was going. That's why when everyone else was looking at each other, when everyone else was looking at the religious leaders and those that were looking to have the status we were talking about last week, Jesus is over on the outskirts, ministering to people that everyone has forgotten about. Why? Because he had a sense of priority that he operated out of. He understood where he was going. He understood what he was called to do. And you and I, the same thing happens. When we have a sense of purpose and priority, we then can really understand the things that we're meant to focus on, and it puts things in the right order in our lives. Without that, do you know what happens? Your life gets out of order. Your life gets out of order. And you know what happens when things in your life, things that are meant to be important, they get swept under the rug? Things that are meant to be a main thing and they become a a subcategory of your life, they become brushed away. What happens when things are out of order is that you're living in disorder. Disorder is like living in chaos. You're living without a sense of right priorities in your life. And without that, we can never experience the fullness of what God has for us. If there are areas of our lives that are out of order, um, we're about as good as any machine that you'd walk up to and you see a sign on that says out of order. You know what it means? It means it's malfunctioning. It's not working correctly. So we can't expect to experience the great things that God has for us if in the inner workings of our lives, things are out of order. They're malfunctioning. So let's not be surprised if things are falling apart if the order isn't correct. And so it's so important for us to get that order in place because God is a God of order. From the beginning, we see it woven through the pages of Scripture that God has shown us that there's a right way. There's a right order to life. There's a way we are meant and called to prioritize our lives. It's not on what the world thinks is most important, but on what God has declared through his word. And so if you have Mark chapter 12 open in front of you, um, I'm just going to pray for God's word today again and just ask him to speak to us clearly. Lord Jesus, we come before you. I ask you to come now, Holy Spirit, and speak to every heart. 
Lord, I can't deliver this word without you. Come, I, I hide behind your cross, Lord, and I ask that you speak, challenge, call us, Lord God, to live in a way that brings you honor and glory. In Jesus' mighty name we pray. Amen. In Mark chapter 12, there is a little game that is being played. It's a game that they like to play a lot with Jesus. It's called Stump the Rabbi. Um, and Stump the Rabbi was where the religious leaders uh, were trying to get Jesus caught in a trap. They were trying to trip him up or trick him somehow about the word of God or about the law or about something. And uh, what's so funny is that these men have studied the Bible, the scriptures of their day, their entire lives. And they're going through the word and they're trying to debate with Jesus. And they don't realize that these men who have studied the word are debating with the word. The word that became flesh. And so Jesus is, is there and he's just refuting everything that they have to say. They're trying to confuse him, but they're the ones leaving confused at the end. It's amazed that they come to him with all these questions. They leave very silent, very quiet sometimes scratching their own heads because uh, Jesus shares the truths with them that for some of them they can't even comprehend. And so there's another game of Stump the Rabbi that's going on with Jesus in Mark chapter 12, and they're debating with him about these different things. And as they're debating with him, it says in Mark chapter 12, verse 28, that one of the teachers of the religious law was standing there listening to the debate. And when he realized that Jesus had answered well, he asked him, of all the commandments, which is the most important? And Jesus replied, the most important commandment is this. Listen, O Israel, the Lord our God is the one and only Lord. You must love the Lord your God with all your heart, all your soul, all your mind, and all your strength. And then he goes on to say in the next one, the second most important is to love your neighbor as yourself. Now, as Jesus shares this with him, this harkens back to the book of Deuteronomy, chapter 6. This was something that was, was not revolutionary to the people of that day. They understood that this is what the Lord had called and required of them. The question is striking, though, because if you look back um, in Scripture, if you look at the first five books of the Bible that you hold in your hand today, that is called the law. The law is what's written about how we are to live our lives, the commandments, the way that the Lord would desire for his people to live in relationship with him. And what's asked here gives us a great sense of, of how we are meant to prioritize our lives because he says, of all the things that God wants us to do, of all the ways that God wants us to live, what's the greatest? What's the greatest commandment? If I could do one thing first and foremost and make it the first priority, what would that be? What is the greatest commandment of all? And this is what Jesus said, to love the Lord your God with all your heart, all your soul, all your mind, all your strength. This is an all-encompassing response to that question, but it truly is the greatest thing that you and I could ever do. In fact, it's what we were created to do. It's what we were created to do, and it's our greatest expression of prioritizing the Lord in our lives is to love him wholeheartedly, with our whole life, with all that we are, with our entire being. That's what he said we're called to do. Now, for them, these Jewish people, they knew this. In fact, many of them, all of them, would have had a little scroll, a little tiny scroll that was rolled up, put into a little tiny box, and it would be secured to all their doorposts around their house. And written on that little scroll was this. Hear, O Lord, hear, O Israel, the Lord your God. The Lord is one. Love the Lord with all your heart, soul, mind, strength. Love him with everything. 
It would be written there and it would be placed on the doorposts. It would be spoken about in their synagogues. It would be taught. It would be committed to memory. They knew this. They knew this. They understood this. They prayed this. But as Jesus came, it became very clear throughout all the time before Jesus, during the time of Jesus' life, and for the centuries leading up to today and today, one thing is clear. We can have it on the walls. We can have it down the hall. You can have it on the doorpost. You can have it memorized in your mind. But the thing that Jesus wants most is that that truth has taken root in your heart, that it has changed the way that you live. What good is knowing it if we're not actually walking in it? What good is knowing that there is freedom without experiencing that freedom that we can have? What good is it just to know it? Oh, Jesus came that we would experience it, that we would experience a life that would love him and be in relationship with him wholeheartedly. He said this is the greatest thing that you and I could ever do with our lives. And this is what we're called to do before anything else, before you think about any other priority in your life, is to get things into the right order. And I want you to know, the first place in your life, the center of your life, it's reserved for one. It's not even your spouse. It's not your children. It's not your job. It's not, it's not your hobbies. It's not even your passions. That place, that first place in your life, it's reserved for the Lord. That when you come to him, when you experience the greatness of his love, you know what we're called to do? We're called to love him with everything we have. We're called to love him with our whole heart, our whole mind, all of our being. And so today we're going to understand what that means and what that looks like. Because I think sometimes we confuse this. I think we think that it means that we're meant to kind of love him. And we're kind of, you know, meant to now come to church. And, and, and I, I need us to know that there's something there at the depths of our heart that if we're going to love him with our whole heart, it's going to be reflected in our lives. It's going to be reflected in the way that we live, not just the words that we say, not just the songs that we sing. What does it really look like to love him in this way? What does it really look like to come to the Lord in that way in 2017? And what must change in our lives so that we can experience that? Let's look at a passage of scripture. If we go all the way back to the beginning of the Bible in Genesis chapter 4, you could turn with me there this morning. In Genesis chapter 4, it's all the way at the beginning, and we get to meet the first children ever born into the world. Adam and Eve, first man, first woman, they have children, and we get to pick up on their story. These two children, their names are Cain and Abel. Some of you are like, oh, I know where this is going. Cain and Abel are born, and their desire is to have this relationship with the Lord, a relationship that had become fractured by sin because of the sin of their parents and the sin that had now broken into the world. And we find this story of what happened and what unfolded in their lives. And it teaches us a lot about what it means to love the Lord in the way that, that we've been called to. Genesis chapter shows that there is a offering that would come. It's each of these sons, they were going to bring an offering to the Lord. And as they're doing this, it describes what these offerings look like. In verse 3, it says, So it came about in the course of time that Cain brought an offering to the Lord from the fruit of the ground. And Abel, on his part, also brought of the firstlings of his flock and their fat portions. And the Lord had regard for Abel 
in his offering, but for Cain and for his offering, he had no regard. So Cain became very angry and his countenance fell. So here's what happens. One of the brothers, Cain, he brings up the fruit of the ground. He grows things, he farms them, he takes from that, and he brings it to the Lord as an offering. He says, hey, I toiled, I worked the soil, I did all these things, and now I want you to have this, Lord. This is my offering unto you. You say, that sounds pretty nice. Some of you said, the meat sounds better. Um, you go over here and you look at Abel, and Abel brought of the firstborn of his flock in their fat portions. And he brought it to the Lord. And the Lord picked one over the other. And you say, well, that doesn't sound very fair. The Lord should have just been happy anyone did anything. No, the Lord's looking at something here. He's looking for something. And this isn't the difference between uh, enjoying meat or being a vegetarian. This isn't about the value of, of uh, just, oh, well, he just wanted meat instead of the produce of the land. No, it's not about that. There's some words that are used to describe what each of these offerings looked like. And for Cain, it was simply the fruit of the ground. He took some of his crops, some of his harvest, and he brought it to the Lord. But then it says about Abel, he took the first of his flock. He took the fat portions. He took the best of what he had, and he gave it to the Lord. The Lord in no way do we see at this portion of time that he had made it clear of what this offering was meant to look like. But when he was able to look at what was happening in each of these offerings, because they weren't just, they weren't just some animals, they weren't just some fruit. They represented the heart of what was behind each one that gave it. Because here's what you and I need to realize that I think we often forget. is that the Lord doesn't just see what we do. He also understands why we do what we do. He doesn't just understand what we give or what we do. He understands the motive of our heart, the attitude of our heart in which we do it. And so uh, that's why it says in the Word of God, it says it, it is the Word of God is living and active, and it judges the thoughts and the attitudes of our hearts. And so God has the capacity to not just understand what we do, but why we do what we do. And he understood something about the heart behind each one. There's something different. There's something beautiful. There's something that pleases the heart of God behind a heart that says this, Lord, I'm here, and I'm giving it to you. I don't have to, but I want to. I'm giving you my best. You're not requiring it of me, Lord God, but it represents my heart that I want to give you my best. And I think that whenever you saw that this other brother. He came and he gave. If there was a value of one over the other, God's looking for our best. God's pleased when we give him our best. And so I think about that. And I think about how in our hearts it reflects something when we're willing to give our best in that way. You see, for Cain, he, he was warned by the Lord. The Lord said to him, Cain, why have you become so angry? Why is your countenance fallen? If you do well, will not your countenance be lifted up? But if you do not do well, Sin is crouching at your door, and its desire is for you, but you must master it. So the Lord warned him. He said, over this, you're going to see the wrong things. You're not going to understand the point of this isn't favoritism. The point of this isn't anything else. The point of this is for you to do well, for you to understand what pleases my heart. But if you miss it, sin's waiting. Sin's waiting in that offense. Sin's waiting in that issue. Sin's waiting, and its desire is for you. He said, you must master it. Well, we learn as we read the rest of that passage that sin did master 
Cain, he rose up against his brother Abel and killed him in the field. He missed it. He completely missed it. He missed the heart behind what was happening here and that God was looking for something special. The Lord is looking for our best. He's looking for our best. No one's going to say amen to that. It's okay. He's looking for our best. And here's what I'll tell you today. This is something we have to realize. It's a, it's a principle that we see in God's word. My best is greater than the rest. My best is greater than the rest. What do I mean by that? It means the best of what I can offer, the best of what I can bring to the Lord is greater than anything else, everything else, all that's the rest. And so we need to understand this. We should get this kind of language into our hearts because it helps us navigate how we live our lives. See, we have the capacity, even at a very young age, to understand that we want to bring our best to those that we feel are worthy of our best that we bring our best to those that we care about the most. And I have a, um, a story that's kind of funny. You know, there are times that I'm going to just throw it out there in front of you guys and walk down memory lane. Uh, this one goes all the way back to when I was five years old. When I was five years old, I was in preschool at the time, uh, four to five years old, right around that time. And um, it, was, it was right before I went into kindergarten. And as I'm, uh, that's normally what happens first. You go to preschool and then kindergarten. Uh, and as I'm in preschool, it came time for Valentine's Day. And during Valentine's Day, um, many kids would go out just as we do now and you buy a box of Valentines with your favorite cartoon character on them and you write people's names on them and you fold them up and then you hand them out and you deliver them. Well, my mom, she was always crafty and kind of thrifty and uh, we'd make a lot of things at home, paper mache stuff and different kinds of things. So my mom had a, the great idea uh, for Valentine's Day, instead of going out and buying those uh, Valentines that are pre-made, that I would make my own. And so she got me some construction paper, and she taught me this incredible uh, nifty craft of how to make a heart out of a folded piece of paper. And I remember that as a child, that once I learned that, I could fold it in half and kind of cut the heart out, I became very fascinated with that. And so she said, well, these can be your Valentines. You cut out the hearts, and you can bring them in and give them out to all your friends. So I said, okay. Well, I think I probably had 20 kids in the class. What I remember, uh, I probably made two, 300 of these hearts. I had so many of them in this bag. So I packed them into the bag, but something happened while I was cutting out the hearts. As I'm cutting them out, I come across one, and when I cut it, it was like the perfect heart. Have you ever done that? Anyone know what I'm talking about? Yeah. <laughs> that heart, I, I remember thinking of it, and I thought of one girl in the class in particular. So here I am, this young, I'm like, she deserves this one. This is the one I'm giving to her. So I put them all in the bag. Now I'm walking around, and actually I cut some hearts out here again. I told you, I, uh, I'm very good at this. Um, so I'm walking around, and I'm going around, and I'm, you know, I'm like, okay, you get your heart, and you get your heart. And I remember I'm like just, just throwing the hearts down. And, and then I get to her desk, and I'm like, hold on. I have one in here. Uh, 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 yeah, it became pretty clear, pretty embarrassing, all those kind of things. I had the one heart that was like the perfect one. I needed her to have it. At even a young age, I have this capacity to know that whenever I feel like I've done my best or there's that, I want someone to have that. There's someone I care about and say, I want you to have that. Now, this being said, and what touched my heart today, um, no pun intended, right, is that I walk out of this um, service, and little do I know that our two- and three-year-olds are doing a Valentine's project, and my daughter, Lily, walks up to me and hands me a heart. <laughs> I'm like, wow, this connects right to the message today, so now I'm going to save that. I'm going to cherish that. Um, She's two and a half years old, but she wanted, like, she wanted me to have it. And I don't think she knew it said Jesus loves me on it, but that's all right. Um, but we have that. So at a young age, we have the capacity to do this. 
we absolutely have the capacity to just understand this idea that I want to give my best to that which I care about the most. So we fast forward that years in the future, and now I'm in college. I'm a sophomore in college. And I meet this girl named Mandy Davidson from Woodbridge, New Jersey, that's attending uh, Valley Forge Christian College at the time, as I am. And I become smitten with her. Um, I'm taken by her. I want to meet her. I want to talk to her uh, at a Christian college. Um, you know, if you're going to spend any time together, it's in groups of people. Uh, and so we had open dorm that happened. It was a time during our, uh, our week that we would have a Saturday night, like once a month, that we were allowed to open up the dorm, and uh, guys could have girls in the dorm in the public areas and, and vice versa. So uh, we had the open dorm plan for a Saturday night. I knew it was going to be happening. Mandy and her friends were planning to come over, um, and I was just in, in the mode of t making the most of this opportunity. I wanted her to have the best. I wanted her to see our dorm at the best. So normally, an apartment full of guys uh, doesn't look the best uh, whenever they're sophomores in college. And But I had all my roommates like, guys, you had to clean this place from top to bottom. We're cleaning. Uh, Evan Tornquist, who was leading worship today, right here, Evan was one of our roommates. And uh, so Evan remembers this story quite well, right? Uh, so they're, they're cleaning the apartment. We're getting it all ready. Then I go out shopping. And I'm like, I'm going to bake some cookies for her. That will really impress her. Uh, we'll make her think that we like cook and bake and stuff in here. So I go out to the to the store and I get to the baker the, the aisle where you're seeing and I wasn't going to make it from scratch. I wasn't going to do that. But I found the Pillsbury and then I saw Toll House and I saw all these ones. So I got two different packages. I was like, I don't know which one's the best so I'm going to buy both of them. So I get back. I cook them both, bake them and then I put them out and some of our friends are tasting. I'm like, don't eat too many of them but tell me which one's the best. Pick the best one, put that in the middle of the table. Then I'm thinking, I need milk for the cookies. Oh, what kind of milk will she like? So I go back to the store, and I'm trying to figure out what kind of milk. And this is kind of silly, but this is what happens, right? Uh, I'm looking for what kind of milk to buy. I, I'm, like, freaking out over it. So I buy some skim milk, and then I buy some whole milk. I'm like, I'm just going to get across the spectrum. So I have both of those in the fridge. Mandy comes over that night, and we're there. We're hanging out. I'm like, hey, you got to see these cookies. Look how clean our apartment is. Hey, hey, you know, I got some milk. Do you like skim milk? Do you like whole milk? She's like, milk is milk. I was like, milk is milk. You know, like, I wanted you to have the best. Um, I learned it's 1% now that we drink in our house. So I guess that's it. Um, but, okay, so, so now as a, as, a, you know, as a young adult, I have this capacity that I just want someone I care about a lot to have the best, to have the best of everything. Do you understand that? Like, we have the capacity to do that. And these are people, and this is our limited understanding. These are people that, for me, had never done anything even for me. How much more, church? Should we give our best to the Lord who gave us his best? How much more should I have this desire deep in my heart to say, Lord, I, I know there's all this other stuff, but I'm not giving you what everyone else gets. Lord, you get the best. You get the best of me. You get the best of my affection. You get the best of my attention. You get the best of my heart. Lord, I want you to have that. I'm going to invite Pastor Rick to come forward at this time. And, and I want us to understand this principle that the best, our best, your best, my best, it's better than all the rest. The things that are the greatest priorities in our lives, the deepest loves of our hearts, they're meant to have the best of us. And I think so often we get this so mixed up, so backwards, so upside down that we miss the point. That we stop loving the Lord with all our heart, all our soul, all our mind, all our strength, because our heart is somewhere else. Our heart is focused on other things. Jesus said in Matthew chapter, chapter 6, verse 21, he says, that where your treasure is, there your heart will also be. Here's what we know, that your heart follows your treasure. Your heart follows after your treasure. 
Whatever it is that you treasure, and here's what I know. Here's what, what it means to treasure something. It's receiving your attention, and it's receiving your affection. It's receiving your attention and your affection. And here's what you need to know today, that your heart follows after that, whatever it is. And for so many of us, we've cashed in. We bought and we treasured things that are not worthy of being treasured in our lives. Some of us, we've treasured things that are less than. They're less than. They're things that are part of the rest. They're things that are part of this world. We've treasured those things and we followed after them. For some of us, like Cain, maybe we haven't hurt anybody, but we've hurt ourselves because we were treasure. We were chasing after something, but sin was crouching at the door of it. And as we followed, as our heart followed after that which we treasured, we walked right into a jail cell. And today, you're trapped. You're addicted. That's, a, that's, where, that's where addiction takes root. It's because we've treasured something. Our affection and our attention has become consumed with something that is not meant to bring us life, but to bring us death. That is not meant to bring us freedom, but is to bring us into captivity. And so today, if you want to have a year that's greater than any other year, you have to start with your heart. And you have to ask this question, Lord, have I been giving you my best? Or have I given my best to the worst things, to the lesser things, not to the first, not to my first love, not to my first desire, not to the one who gave me his first and his best? When this gets out of order, you'll find your life becomes dysfunctional and broken. I can't tell you how many people I counsel and I talk with and when I speak with couples, I remember speaking with one that was in crisis and I spoke with one of the spouses and I just said, can you just give me the priority of your life? Like, I'm just going to give you a list of five things. Your, your relationship with God, your children, your work, your, your spouse, your hobbies. Could you put them in priority order for me? And when, that, when I got it back and read it and saw that work was number one, and then children number two, and then spouse number three, and then God at the bottom... I said, this is what's wrong. It's backwards. It's upside down. Your job is more important than your spouse and then your marriage and saving your marriage. Like that, that's what's happened. Like that's what's become something that you've realized that you've been giving your best to that. But I want to tell you something. When you signed your employment contract, you did not sign till death to us part. For richer, for poor. I'm telling you, your employer doesn't think that. Because when poorer comes, you're getting cut, right? But you see how easily... We can start to see our best being given away to things that are not worthy of our best. And then what we have to do is we have to settle for giving them the rest. The Lord isn't looking for the rest today. He's not looking for the leftovers today. He's not looking to be an afterthought today. He's looking to be the center of your affection, the center of your attention. I'm going to tell you, you won't be the husband that God's called you to be. You won't be the spouse God's called you to be, the parent God's called you to be, uh, even, even the worker, the employee God's called you to be. You won't be the person God has created you to be until he's number one in your heart and number one in your life. And until you can come to him and give him your best. See, we have to guard our hearts. And for some of us, our hearts are very conflicted this morning. The Bible says in Proverbs chapter 4, guard your heart above all else because out of it, everything flows. I'm so thankful today that if you feel trapped and if you feel stuck, maybe bound in addiction, maybe trapped and feeling like, you know, you, you're just, you, your heart is so conflicted. I'm so thankful that Jesus gave his mission statement. 
His priority is this. His purpose is this, that you would be set free, and whoever the Son sets free is free indeed. That you would be released from chains that would bind you and hold you back. That today you would be free to love him again and be who he's created you to be. To be saved from whatever it is that you may have fallen into today. But our call, what's clear from scripture, is to return to him with all our hearts. To seek him with all our hearts. It says in the prophets that you will seek me and you will find me when you seek me with all your heart. What does it mean to love the Lord? With all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind, with all your strength. It means that you're all in for him. It means that your heart is reserved for no one else. No one else has that first place in your, in your heart, that your attention, your affections are towards him. It means that when you show up, what does it mean to, 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 to love him with all your being? It means that wholeheartedly you're in. When you're in, you press in. You press into what God has for you. You press in when no one's looking. You press in each day to prayer and seeking him. Make re your relationship with God the greatest priority of 2017 and watch what he does. Watch how he will bless you. Watch how he will prosper you. Watch how he will lead you. Watch how you will be set free. Watch how you'll walk in a fullness of what he has for you if you make him the priority. What does it mean here at church to say, God, you have my best. We have such a, a limited pocket of time each, each week that we can come together like this and we can worship the Lord. You know what it means? Giving him your best. It means come early. It means sit close. It means lean in and press into what God has for you. It means worship him not so Pastor Rick or anyone else would feel good. It means do it because the Lord's worthy of our best praise. He's worthy of it all. He's worthy of all that we have because he's greater. It's realizing that from the depths of our heart. Come on, we can't, we can't let, like, they, they have these things that happen. Like, tonight they're going to play in Arrowhead Stadium. They say, this is the loudest place on earth for anyone to worship. And then Seattle's like, no, we're the loudest place on earth. And I'm saying, no, let the church be the loudest place on earth. That when the people of God come together, there's a sound that rises. That no sporting event, that no one else, that there is a, a sense of joy and excitement that we're just all in. We're all in for him. We don't care what anyone thinks. We're all in worshiping him, giving him our best. If you give God your best in 2017, I promise you this, you will not be disappointed. And you will see 2017 can be the greatest year that you've ever had. Not because of material things, not because of anything else, because of this. Because those who come to the Lord in that way, he renews your strength. You experience the fullness of his presence and power. Um, you will experience things you've never experienced before. And today, perhaps you haven't been experiencing because you've been withholding your best and reserving it for something else. Can we together as a people, can we turn our hearts from that church? Can we say, God, you get my best. You get my best this year and you get my best every day moving forward. And then out of that, prioritize your life. Talk to your spouse today. Say, you know what? I I've been reserving other areas and they've been getting my best no longer. You, this family, you have my best. And when things get back in order in your life, watch what God does. Amen. Man, would you bow your heads and would you bow your hearts with me this morning? Thank you, Jesus, Lord God, that you've come to give us life and life abundantly. Thank you today, Lord God, that you've come, Lord God, so that we can experience the fullness of who you are. Today, Lord, we come to you, Lord God. We come like children, Lord God. Lord, we have our best, Lord God. We have the things that are best in our lives, Lord God. And, and today, Lord, we reserve that for you, Lord. We give you our best. We give you our attention. We give you our affection, Lord God. Lord, we commit to love you with our heart, our soul, our mind, and our strength, Lord God. Lord, let nothing get in the way of that. 
And I pray today, Lord God, for freedom to reign in this house and in every heart that turns to you. Lord, I thank you for your word today that says, Lord God, that you're going to give us a new heart, Lord God, a heart that can know you, a heart that, Lord God, will be for you, Lord God, when we return to you with all of our hearts. So today, some of us, we just return to the Lord. If that's you, just say, Lord, I return to you today. I return to you with my whole heart, Lord God. Lord God, I, I push away those other things that have been distractions and have taken away my affections, and I turn towards you. And there are some of you in the house today, you're here, and if you were honest with yourself, you know that you're not right with God. You know, you've known about him, but you don't have a personal relationship with him. And today I want to let you know, you don't have to wait for your life to get cleaned up. You don't have to be a perfect person to come to God. He's done the work. He's given you his best. When we were at our worst, he gave his best to us. He gave Jesus and Jesus died for your sins. And today, if you are willing to call upon the name of Jesus and ask him to forgive you of your sins, the Bible says he's faithful to forgive you of all your sins, of all your wrongdoing, of all the things that have shamed your past. Today, you don't have to walk in 2017 with the heaviness and the burden of your sin. You don't have to walk separated from God. You can have a brand new living relationship with God. And it can begin today. If you're here for whatever reason you're here for and you don't normally come, I believe you're here because God wanted you to be here to hear this message on this very day because your life can be changed for eternity. So with every head bowed around the room today, I want to give you an opportunity to accept Jesus Christ as your Lord and as your Savior. The Bible says everyone who's willing to call upon the name of the Lord will be saved. And so today, don't let this moment pass you by. Maybe you've been holding out for a while, but I just sense there are some that are among us that are ready to make that decision. And today's gonna to be the first day of the rest of your life, of a brand new life with God. So today, if that's you and you say, Pastor, you're describing me, today's the day I, I wanna make God first in my life. I wanna to turn to Jesus. I want him to be my Lord and my Savior. Would you be willing just to lift your hand up so I could pray for you? If that's you, just lift your hand up right where you're at. Praise God, I see a hand in the back. Is there anyone else? Hands going up all around. Is there anyone else that you say, that's me, Pastor, pray for me. I wanna begin that relationship with the Lord. Amen. I see your hand. Just put it up. Don't be afraid to put your hand up. It's good. It's something to be celebrated. It's something to be confident in today. Be confident because God's about to change your life forever. Praise God. I see hands going up all around, all around the room. And as your hand's up today, you're about to make the greatest decision of your entire life. And I'm going to pray for you right now. And I would ask you, just keep your hand up as you're praying. Just like you're reaching out to the Lord. Pray with me right now from the bottom of your heart. And if you're here and you want to continue to pray, this is an act of recommitment, or we can all say it together. Let's just pray out together. Lord Jesus, Lord Jesus, I ask you to come into my life and forgive me of my sins that have separated me from you. Lord, I believe that you came and that you died and that you rose again for me. Come and be my Lord and my Savior. Forgive me of my sins and help me to walk in the life that you have for me. I commit to follow you all of my days. Thank you for giving me your best. I will give you my best. In Jesus' mighty name we pray. And all God's people said amen and amen. Will you celebrate, church? Many hands went up. Praise God, praise God. If your hand was up today and you made that decision, we want to celebrate with you. One of our ushers are going to be handing you a decision card. This is just to connect with you about the decision that you've just made. 
please take a moment, fill out that card. We'd love to connect with you right after service. We have a free book for you. We'd love to get to know you some more. Amen. Would you, um, rest of us, church, we're going to get into just a time of closing worship. Would you stand up today and praise God for what he's doing this new year in 2017. He's, uh, he's up to something. He's preparing us. Let's commit this week. God, you're going to get my best, not the rest. I'm going to reserve the best of my time, my talent, my treasure for you, Lord. So let's worship the Lord. If you'd like to worship, you can press in. If you need prayer, we're going to have a prayer team up here in the front. If not, we'll see you again next week. God bless you, and please save your conversations for out in the foyer. We hope you have been challenged and blessed by this message. For more information, visit us at evangelchurch.com.